Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up? I'm Poppy Ajuda and welcome to The Power in Us, a podcast where I use the songs of my debut album to propel into conversations around feminism, social change, mental health, empowerment, and so much more. So stay tuned for big chats with inspiring people. Fly together, die together, be blind together, fall together, free fall together, stay together. Fly together, die together, be blind together, fall together, free fall together. This song is Fall Together, and I'm speaking with Jack Harries. Thank you for coming on my podcast. I'm super excited to have you, um, especially on this song. This song is called Fall Together, and it's a song that I wrote about choosing love in a world that's falling apart. I'm a very dramatic person, so the, <laughs> the song is like, the world's ending, and all I have left is love. But I think it's also a reaction to the kind of dystopian hopelessness that can come from environmental disaster, from governmental negligence, from a world that feels like it doesn't listen to what is needed to create the right change for you know, a progressive future. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that because I feel like the environment, conversations around the environment connect so heavily to all of the topics that I'm talking about in this podcast in terms of race, class, colonialism, globalization, like there's so much that fits into this conversation and there's almost too many things to talk about. Um, so I'll try not to uh, overwhelm you with a million questions. <laughs> Hit me, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> you seem like a very optimistic person. How do you remain hopeful when fighting such like huge global issues? Wow, That's a big straight in with the big question. <laughs> because that was actually like my first yeah. thought. Like I have so many questions about the climate crisis and like environment and how to get people into it. But actually I find sometimes my biggest struggle as someone who cares about a lot of social issues is having the willpower to do the work. <sighs> yeah, it's a really good question. How do you stay hopeful in the face of this crisis? Or in the face of like all the things that mm. are going on in the world, I think everyone our age and beyond feels like it's a very overwhelming time to mm. exist in the in the world and i think it can just be it can be really paralyzing kind of when you read information and so like for me you know i grew up not that interested in environment and climate change to be honest it wasn't my thing i wasn't that kid like i wasn't mm. good at maths and sciences i wasn't that guy who would like get outdoors really mm. my mum was a bit of a climate activist or an environmental activist yeah. so she was like my inspiration she kind of opened my eyes to that issue um but it wasn't until later in life uh, in 2015 so however long ago that is now that i went on this trip to greenland and it opened my eyes to the environmental crisis we went up to the arctic and mm -hmm. saw it sort of firsthand with the wwf and i then went on this journey of like understanding this is going to be a significant issue, realizing this is going to be a significant issue for our lifetimes and wanting to learn more about it, mm. but really struggling, you know, like subscribing to all these environmental newsletters, reading books, listening to audiobooks, trying to like 
wrap my head around it as I think mm. many people do like understanding it's significant but trying to really process it it's overwhelming it's really overwhelming and so I found just that process hard because there's a lot of graphs and numbers about things that are seemingly happening in mm. faraway places and mm-hmm. it's hard to understand how it impacts you know your own life um but then as well as that it's really devastating because mm. of the scale of it um and it's easy to feel just completely overwhelmed and there's a there's an amazing psychologist, a sort of climate psychologist called Caroline Hickman, who's done a huge study into climate anxiety or climate mm. grief. And she talks about the sort of flight or fright um, state we go into, or, or a third one, which she calls freeze, mm. you know, flight, fright, or freeze, where we read this information uh, and we just don't, we become paralyzed. We don't know how to move forward. We don't know how to act. And so I've definitely found myself in that space lots of times mm. before. And the honest answer is for me, like being in this space and doing this work day in, day out, it's been six years I've kind of existed in the the climate space predominantly. I think it's a cycle. Like I think I go through waves. You know what I mean? I think there are some days where I wake up and I just feel completely overwhelmed Mm. by the grief of it, by the scale of it, by what we're losing, by what we've already lost. Then there are days where I wake up and I feel completely alive with the opportunity that's mm. in front of us. You know, it sounds like a cliche, but with every problem, there's a solution, right? 100%. And so you, you look at the climate crisis and you ask, what is the problem? And if we take away for a minute the kind of the environmental aspect of it, like the details of the scientific aspect of it, climate change is a symptom of a broken system, mm. right? It's a symptom of like flawed stories and ideologies. That's, that's the fact. And so in order to tackle it, we've got to tell new stories. We've got to come up with new, mm. uh, or actually they're not new stories, really. There's, there's ancient stories we've been telling for a long time. Indigenous communities have been telling for mm. a long time that we've kind of forgotten we about. We have to listen to different people. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we have to lift up different voices. Mm. And so that's the, the challenge I see in front of us. And I think once you start to do that, once you start to look for those alternative stories and to listen to different voices, mm. it's really beautiful because you understand that we view the world through a very certain limited framework and, and value system yeah you know where we, we disregard nature we see ourselves as separate to it and masters of and these are ideologies that were perpetrated by mostly white men over the last couple of hundred years uh and it doesn't have to be this way and so uh i find my hope in in that in like finding these alternative stories and the beauty of them the the, the depth of them the richness of them and realizing that they could pave the way towards a better world like an alternative future and you're incredible at uplifting other people's voices. And even when I was watching some of your videos and I think what you were just talking about in terms of feeling like something's distant from you and then that feeling overwhelming is really important. I think you have to find a connectivity to the issue that you care about in order to create change in it because otherwise it just feels so huge. And it is so much about community and so much about how we can work together and in an individualistic society sometimes you feel like the pressure is all on you when actually if you can like take that out of your mind and see how you're kind of a cog in a part of a lot of people that need to create change together globally then maybe it takes a little bit of the weight off and um i was watching one of the episodes of a seat at the table which was amazing. And I almost didn't sleep last night because I was watching so many <laughs> of the episodes because they're so Thanks. good. But it's funny because um, one of the, the lines in my songs that is maybe the most reflective of like the environment is that 
there's a line that says radiation killing me while I sleep at night, pollution burning up my mind. Mm. The first line is about my dad always tells me to not sleep with my phone near my head. Because, very wise. <laughs> because of radiation. I don't even know if it's true, but he's always like, Poppy, don't charge your phone near your head. Um, and then obviously p- pollution is just talking about air pollution mm. and choking on the lies is the air pollution, but also the kind of hypocrisy of the government. Um, and I guess that led me into looking at the episode that was on air pollution. And um, I was quite surprised because there's something that I've always talked about in my family, which is that the area that I grew up in is like one of the highly polluted areas. Mm. And we'd always say that the road, because I'm from New Cross Gate, Lewisham Borough, Mm. went to primary school, secondary school, college there. Mm. And what you were talking about in the documentary, first half of it was Lewisham. And we'd always say that like, because I'm near like New Cross Road slash Old Kent Road, that big main road that goes to Elephant Castle and um, Waterloo and everything that kind of catches a lot of the pollution and also that it can like affect hay fever when the pollen gets caught and in summer and all these things and it's kind of something that we would just say but not really think about mm. um, and I thought it was really compelling what you talked about in terms of feeling like issues are far away mm. so you don't really acknowledge them mm. I feel like I learned about the environment to a kind of basic level in school but all of my schools have been in Lewisham Borough and we've never talked about pollution. We've never talked about anything that maybe people from that borough would care about because it would change their every day. Yeah. You know, it would change the, the livelihood of their children and their families. So yeah, I just think it's so important. Yeah, I mean, just on that, so like making that episode was fascinating for me, learning about Lewisham and uh, in that we featured this incredible organisation called Choked Up, mm. who are you know, a group of young activists from Lewisham who raise awareness about illegal levels of air pollution. It was set up after um, Ella Kissy, Kissy Deborah passed away due to uh, air pollution and, and asthma and the way it affected mm-hmm. her lungs. And, um, you know, that story in Lewisham is a really good example of uh, what's often referred to as climate justice. And so it's the acknowledgement that climate change is a intersectional issue, you know, mm. that needs to be viewed for a sort of social justice and human rights lens. Mm. And, and simply put, it's that those who have often done the least to cause this crisis suffer the most. And so Lewisham is an example of that. You know, it's a, a borough that um, doesn't cause the most carbon emissions by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but receives most of the air pollution. And I've heard fascinating things about the way London was laid out, that the wealthier parts of London were set up in the West because the wind blew from the wow. industrial areas of East London out to the East and down to the South. And so then the lower socioeconomic areas were built up in that those places. Those people suffered the most mm. from the pollution of all the wealthy people. And it's like, you start to understand, yeah, and the, the structural kind of ra- environmental racism that is, that is a part, should be a part of this conversation. You know, um, it isn't a coincidence that, that things are this way. And it's the same when you look globally, you know, people who are most affected by climate change live in the global South, live mm. in the global South, and yet they've done the least to, to contribute to this crisis. And so um, I think it's a really important uh, way to view the climate crisis, looking at it through this intersectional lens and the conversation. It's only just started happening over the last few years, but is vital to understanding this, this issue. I think it's also kind of our obsession with not seeing nuance in any issue. Yeah. It's like it's black or white and it's good or bad, when actually there's so much nuance in all of these topics and there's a lot to unpick and maybe it's difficult to acknowledge intersectionality because it's always always feels more politicized mm. to kind of incorporate race or class into a conversation. I think environmentalism can be very whitewashed yeah. when it's integral to our conversation, especially when we talk about like climate refugees. Mm. Like race 
and class and you know globalization is just so much a part of these conversations but as you were saying those are the people that have the the least loudest voices yeah. to voice those concerns and also the least power to create change yeah and i also thought it was interesting when we're talking about class and what you were saying about you know um people from impoverished backgrounds are going to be affected the most and they're going to be impacted the most they're learning about it the least but also how do you how do you care about the environment when you're financially unstable when you're overworked when you have a family to support when you're living in the now how do you care about the future mm. and obviously people those are the masses those 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 are the majority so actually those are the people that and it, and it's who it affects so those are people that we need to be interested and be invested in it Totally. Yeah, 100%. And this is like something I, I literally stay awake at night, you know, <laughs> ask myself this question. Um, and I think it's it's about how we tell the story around climate. And I think we're failing to tell the story in, in the right way. Like if you think about what's happening now, particularly in our country, but also around the world with the energy crisis, right? I was just about to say that. Yeah. So like, that is an urgent issue. People can't afford to pay their energy bills, which is a, a, a truly urgent issue. But there's not often a link being drawn between that and the climate crisis mm. and they're completely one in the same right like we currently are reliant on energy which is fossil fuels being mm. shipped over from russia and so because there's a war there the prices are going up and then we're suffering as a result mm. and so it sparks all sorts of conversations around energy sovereignty around like creating more energy locally and renewable mm. energy and that is the conversation of climate you know so it's it's helping understand that by tackling climate it's not and i you know i one of the words, like, or the terms I hate in the space is saving the planet. Like, how do we save the planet? Mm. It's not about saving the planet. The planet's going to be fine. It's yeah. fine before us. It'll be fine after us. <laughs> right? so like, true. It's chilling. We're it's, the it's ones just that will be gone. <laughs> yeah, we're the ones that are th under threat. And so it's about really understanding <clears throat> the issue, you know. And um, this is something that, that will improve the lives of people if we tackle the climate crisis. And, you know, I know it's like a... it's it's. I always think Al Gore got it right with his film uh, that he called An Inconvenient Truth. Like, climate change just is... Can I swear on this? Yeah, this I is think... a fucking nightmare. <laughs> this is a fucking inconvenient. Like, I love is... that everybody asks that. <laughs> I was such a polite know. guest. <laughs> um, it's just really inconvenient, you know. It and, is inconvenient and... when you have so many other things that yeah. are going wrong, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. But it has to be a conversation that is integrated into those other conversations. And I think that's what makes it complicated. Yeah. And that's what makes it feel like when you were in the beginning of what you were saying, when you were talking about your introduction to the climate crisis and how overwhelming that was, it's like often it can feel very educational and yeah. very kind of inaccessible. Yeah. Totally. And how do, how do we make it more accessible? For me, I felt overwhelmed having this conversation with you because I don't feel articulate in the topics of the environment sure. and yeah I, I do my little bit mm. but probably I don't do enough mm. and it is inconvenient probably I ignore a lot of the things that I could be doing of course yeah because of my my every day and my now yeah so it's it's just such a big topic yeah to kind of get involved in how do you think that people maybe not the, even just the people listening but their friends or their family how do we encourage people to care more about the environment and to care more about these intersectional issues. Mm. I think I think everyone cares about the environment. Like I think everyone is an environmentalist, which because it's just to care about the place that you live in, and like, we're all reliant on the environment, on the natural world mm. inherently. Mm. I don't think that there's a difference in that. But how do we take action in our own lives? I think it can look like so many different things. Activism can look like so many different things. I think that's something that's not 
spoken about enough. You know, I think often activism is portrayed as going out on the streets and getting arrested. You see all these movements like mm. Extinction Rebellion, Fridays for Future. That's great. Like, and those are, they had their place. Mm. And, I, you know, I've been involved in those over the years as well. Um, but it's not the only way to take action. It's not the only thing that activism can look like. Mm. It can look like many different things. And I think it depends on who you are, your circumstances, where you live, what your skill set is. Mm. I believe every single person has a role to play in this movement. And it's just about asking yourself, what is your unique skill set? Mm. And then lending that to the movement. You know, for me, it was like making fucking YouTube videos. Like, <laughs> what a seemingly useless thing to do. But I'm like, okay, well, that's what I do. Become your whole thing now. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, I wish I was a scientist and could come up with some incredible solution to solve this thing. But... Careful what you start doing because it might become your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, exactly. Yeah. But like, just ask yourself what you're good at and, and lend it to the movement. And um, I would say, you know, to go back to your question earlier, like, where I found the most hope, honestly. Um, is meeting, and it sounds kind of cliche maybe, but just meeting individuals that mm. are taking action in their own lives, like be it big or small, like uh, someone who's always inspired me is Poppy Okocha. I don't know if mm. you ever come across her. She lives in Totnes here in the UK and she's taken her garden, which is a normal sized garden and rewilded it. It's become this like abundant food well, that's forest. That's her garden? Yeah, it's her garden. It's yeah. behind her house. Yeah, and I, I've been wow. to visit her. We, I visited her in the first episode of the Seat at the Table and it's like, you're walking down a high street, you'd never know it's there. You just go down this little alleyway and behind this you know, standard house is this yeah, a relatively normal sized garden, but it's just this amazing space. And it just shows what we can all do with a little bit of land, a little bit of love and optimism. Mm. And I met many people traveling across the UK, making that serious seat at the table, young people who are just taking matters into their own hands. And I realized that none of us can change the world. And that's where you get burnt out. And I've mm. been there like, I just got to change the entire system. Yeah. You know, I just got to get the government to turn this whole thing around. It'll be fine. In like, my lifetime. Yeah, what high benchmark yeah. you're going to burn out, you know, and it's a great aim to have, but but also just think about locally the action you can take and maybe it's having a difficult conversation with your friend or your parent or whatever. That mm. is activism. That is how change happens. So I think having yeah. difficult conversations yeah. is maybe the ethos of this podcast yeah. because I think that's the only way that we change people's minds. And it's actually, I think to have a difficult conversation, you have to be quite brave and you have to have a lot of compassion yeah. because it's much easier to act emotionally or, um, act with anger at someone else's viewpoint when you like just you're knocking each other's heads you know I and I and I I really learned that um I was away with my dad he lives in St Lucia and I went to see him and yeah. I guess it was the first time I had gone as like a more strong-headed woman than I already always was <laughs> very opinionated but I I came with the full force of feminism and um my like black 70 year old dad was not having it. I guess he's, he's much more traditional than I am. And we would argue a lot about feminism and I would get very triggered and very emotional. And I had to realize if I'm not able to talk about what is important to me in like a normal, rational way, mm. if I can't change the mind of my own parent, mm. like how can I articulate myself mm. in my everyday life? Like, yeah, I'm angry and yeah, I shouldn't have to have the conversation, but this is where I am and I'm meeting this person at where they are mm. and where their li life experiences have taken them. Mm. And my dad's not a difficult person. He's like very rational and very compassionate, but everybody is guarded with how they feel about something based on how they've practiced beliefs, yeah. those belief systems their whole life. Mm. And as much as it was difficult, it really taught me, if I really believe in this, I should be able to articulate it. Mm. If I really believe that I can have these things and I deserve these things and, I, the right to you know be an equal person I, it shouldn't be 
an emotional conversation because I should already have it in my mind. And I guess it is is doing research and educating yourself as well and, you know, engaging with people that make it accessible to understand these big concepts. Because mm. even when I was watching your videos, at first, I was like, oh God, <laughs> this is like a lot. <laughs> this is a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I would have felt that at the start as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes you feel like, oh, that I'm not it's not my place to have this conversation. Like I don't know enough or I'm a hypocrite is a big mm. thing that a lot of people feel I feel still. We're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. Under yeah. capitalism. Yeah, like it's impossible to stand without the side of the system. And should you, do you need to be perfect in order to advocate for change? You know, these are really interesting questions. Yeah, no, you don't. I, I relate to that. But I think that's our philosophy at Earthrise, which is this creative studio I run that aims to communicate climate is to, mm. to meet people where they're at, you know? And I think it's why movements like Extinction Rebellion or more recently Just Stop Oil, which are these groups here in the UK that, you know, block roads. I think they can be very dangerous because they kind of mm. shove the message down people's throat. And to a degree, there's a part of me that's like, well, yeah, it's a, it's a fucking emergency <clears throat> and we just need to sound the alarm. Mm. Then part of me is like, yeah, but if you're not meeting someone where they're at, then you're just going to turn them off the issue and then we've lost them totally. And that isn't effective. So I think, you know, we say a lot, progress, not perfection. Mm. And I think it's the same with brands. Actually, I was at an event last night talking about climate change in front of a bunch of advertisers and how mm. they can be better advocates for the climate mm. and those things are really always interesting events to to be at because there's a lot of greenwashing in those spaces and i think a lot of brands are just terrified to even step their foot into the conversation for fear of being cancelled and called mm. out you know? and because of the hypocrisy i guess and because they're hypocrites yeah and so it's a very fine line of like we need them to be part of the conversation we need them to take action but how can we do it in a way where they don't feel terrified to come into that conversation? I did think to myself, you speak to people who are grassroots change makers and you also speak to politicians and policymakers. How is that balance? Hmm. Because both are important. Both yeah. have a, a, a powerful in creating change in different spaces. And you talked about how, you know, protest is important, but it's just one element. And I yeah. always talk about that in terms of activism, like, there's not one way to create change and we're all doing, doing different things that will kind of compound into kind of moving the dial slowly. Um, but it must be interesting because even just the conversation, like the, convers the, the difference between conversation between an individual or a small group creating change in their community to a politician who knows yeah. exactly what to say and can articulate it and... Right. You know, I can see it when I'm watching it. Yeah. Um, I can almost see it on your face as well. Yeah. Because you know that the script is kind of yeah. there to some extent, but also that those are the people you have to also convince. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting experience interviewing those types of characters. I've been really lucky to interview some amazing people. Like when we were making a seat at the table, I had a chance to interview Barack Obama which was like the most nerve-wracking day of my entire yeah. life without a shadow of a doubt but generally speaking I've, I find it very very frustrating to mm. interview those types of characters I remember should I name him yeah why not I remember interviewing <laughs> Nadim Zahawi who was the education secretary at that point but um, I remember in that interview the feeling of like you know that classic feeling of like blood boiling up through your body into your head of just anger. I felt like I was being kind of like gaslit. I was basically. literally gonna say. Like, you know, I was talking about climate and the environment. It was for a documentary making about climate anxiety. Yeah. And he was just just you know what politicians And he was are giving like. you climate anxiety while talking literally, about literally giving you money on the verge of a breakdown. Like he was just spewing out this kind of pre rehearsed 
shit basically mm. and i just i just was like i was trying to find the humanity in him like just mm. looking at him like don't give me this crap like let's have a real conversation yes, a real, you're a human like you feel the urgency of this yeah. and but i also somehow in a strange way feel i don't feel sorry for them that isn't the right way to put it but i can see how limited they are by their own position right and and it's like 100%. their hands are tied and mm-hmm. it's like with one thing in one way their eyes are saying one thing which is yes i agree this is terrifying we need to take action but their mouth is saying something totally different, mm. which is conditioned by the kind of situation that they're in. They've put themselves in. Yeah, yeah. But like the kind of, you know, that... The constraints of the system. Exactly, exactly. And so I find those conversations very frustrating. The one exception maybe was interviewing the, the Prime Minister of Iceland. I forget her name. I feel she, like that would be the only she, one. <laughs> she was wicked, like, because she, she used to be a climate activist. Oh, wow. Well, she's just a female politician, mm. so far and few between. They're usually just absolutely badass. Yeah. Um, so that, that was amazing. But yeah, so I find, I, I do find that very frustrating. And I think think over the last few years having had the chance to be in some of those rooms like a cop 26 mm. or in going to davos or the world economic forum where we're going to talk with, like lunch with bill gates was speaking and all these weird spaces that you know, i never thought i would exist within I, I i just i find them very frustrating very limiting and i don't find any hope there because i just don't think those systems are set up to create change in fact it's the opposite like they are in the business of maintaining the status quo that is literally the job that they have taken on mm. you know that is their objective and what we need is nothing short of like radical systemic change. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get radicalization within no, from kind within of, the system, the, the bastions of the system. You yeah. Know? When you put it like that, I see why you say it's hopeless. Um, yeah. Do you feel like because you mentioned that you spoke to Barack Obama? Yeah. And, <laughs> name drop. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw <laughs> That's the that. One I can name drop. And, and it's so interesting seeing. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a perceptive person, but like your body language. Well, what did you uh, intuit from that? Well, when you were speaking to, I can't remember who the other guy was in the in the documentary. Um, in that episode? Yeah, in that episode. Oh, is it the president of COP26? Possibly. Yeah, Alok Sharma, maybe. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then also when you've been speaking to people who are working within communities and creating change. Yeah. I just feel like you're, that you're more guarded yeah, because yeah. you know what to expect yeah. and you know that he's going to say all of the things that he's supposed to say and yes. he's going to have the figures. And I can see the smile on your face because <laughs> you're like, you yeah. almost, everybody goes into the role that they're supposed to be playing because exactly. you can't come out of it. Right. You, you start playing the role You start too. playing the role. Yeah. You start asking the questions. 100%. And you kind of let them off in these certain places. And the feeling I just, you just remind me of the feeling that I had after that Obama interview and I have often after those interviews when they leave is just a feeling of emptiness mm. and that sounds quite dramatic but it's just like a <sighs> but it's also it's so built up yeah you're interviewing like the former president of the u.s yeah do you know what i mean oh, like, i was so nervous one of like, the most yeah. powerful people in the world like prepping you for it i walked that walk literally a hundred times before <laughs> his security you're like how do around. i walk yeah. i've been walking all my Mr. life the president like <laughs> i have to say that and he's charismatic and yeah. and he's like he's very cool a, a very cool and chill person yeah. like compared to what you might think he would be like um and then the conversation is so short because you know the former president only has so much time and the conversation is limited yeah you know to some extent and you don't want to offend you just make me think of it all like because you're in that system too yeah i can see that on your face yeah favor has been done that you can even get this time with them exactly or to be really open, like the event I was at last night with all these brands, like I was paid to go and speak there, right? Mm. And honestly, there was a moment where this McDonald's thing came up and I, I honestly, I, I wanted to stand up and be like, this is fucked. But then I was like, ah, well, I can't because this is a job. It's my job to be here. Yeah. And like, we, you know, we've made an arrangement. And so like, it, 
It's the conflict. I'm just aware of the constraints of the system that I'm also within. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and how far do you push that? And mm. that's what people like Extinction Rebellion try and do. And I've I've been down that path. Like I glued myself to the building. <laughs> I got arrested. I spent the night in a cell. And that those are moments where you feel like you're pushing the boundaries of the system that you're within. Yeah. But you get penalised for it. I spent yeah. five months in and out of court. And with, yeah. You know, with it likely that I wouldn't ever go to America again. And so it's not a reason to not do it. But you just you you feel the constraints of the system you're within. It's like both those ways are important mm. because it's like either you're completely revolutionary and you're outside of the system yeah and you're gluing yourself to shit yeah and you're going to court but also you have to have a privilege in order to be able to huge and thank you for saying that. yeah, yeah to yeah. do those things and and i think when we talked about the energy crisis before the first thing when when everything started kind of coming out in the news i was like if this mostly affecting middle and upper class people, mm. they would all be on the streets. Right. <laughs> but like historically, most of the people that love to protest are people who have access to white free time. Class, yeah. To yeah, exactly white middle class people. Like, and this is mostly going to affect really detrimentally working class people, and those are not the people who are going to just go and take to the streets. Right. This is like everybody should be protesting right now. This is crazy. Right. How can our bills be going up like right. three, four times the amount, or however much they, they, they've been going up, and. It is that conversation about class that always comes into it. Yeah, it's, it's a constant conflict and, it, and a constant contradiction and a constant hypocrisy everybody has to go through when they choose the route that they want to create change in. Mm. And I do think, and I spoke, spoke to Nadir about it, where when we were talking about toxic masculinity and having conversations with other men about um, masculinity and trying to change, I don't know, the status quo in some way. And he said a similar thing to you in, in the sense that he said, you have to meet someone where they are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to prescribe to the constraints in order to even have that conversation. Otherwise it just passes that person by. Mm -hmm. And I do agree with that to some extent. I think that if you, just like me having a conversation with my dad, if I were to go in at the other end of a conversation that he's halfway at, mm -hmm. then I'm much less likely to yeah. get any kind of like compliance or any kind of like, I don't know, cooperation into what I think is, is really progressive and, and the right thing to do. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, like, I feel like if you were uh, being really crazy and radical, you wouldn't have even got that interview. Yeah, well, yeah. In the first place. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you wouldn't be able to have that conversation. Mm. So it's, I think, a fine line. It is a fine line. That yeah. we tread. Yeah. And it is, I guess, the, the grassroots communities that will campaign against the politicians and, and hopefully force them to create change yeah yeah and change I, policy yeah i think that's where change comes from i think my faith lies in in people and everyday people getting out on the streets and demanding this change politicians and brands to a degree just respond to our wants and desires they're never going to be brave enough to take dramatic action so we have to put that pressure they on. they do things when they're forced to yeah exactly and so you know in, at least in a functioning democracy that's how it's meant to work so um i think that's where change comes from but yeah we need every every approach I think it has to come from many different angles and I have so much respect for people that sit totally outside of the system and take those risks you know to to, to protest but I also have respect for people that work deep within the system and I've met many you know who mm. are in political spheres or in work for big brands and corporations but are real activists and change makers from the inside and are having a really significant impact and I don't think there's a, a right way or a wrong way we need a kind of multi-pronged approach mm. um, to create change yeah, yeah and I guess everyone in, in different areas has to be a part of that conversation. Mm. Because one thing that won't happen is everybody at the drop of the hat is just gonna become radical and yeah. 
also not everybody's going to think the same way. Yeah. And we can't expect people to all have the same perspective to creating change. Mm. And you have to allow people to, I guess, do it their way to some mm. extent, because that's part of, you know, democracy and mm. cooperation. I, I don't know. I find yeah, sometimes... Was, yeah, it sounds a bit to totalitarian. Radi right? Radical <laughs> ideas can then be a bit like, okay, but we don't mind if it's totalitarian, if it's like leftist totalitarianism. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And then there has to yeah. be some kind of balance. And I am aware of that sure. to some extent. What What's something that you wish people did more of? If you had to choose like one thing. Whoa, just of anything in the world? Like something yeah. people Or you could just choose five things. I don't know. Just list all the things. This Whoa. is your chance to speak to the people <laughs> <laughs> on my podcast. <laughs> um, something people did more of. I guess just like you know we seem to live in this very polarized world don't we kind of left and right you know mm. it's very black and white and uh not listening to each other and I I wish there was more nuance in the conversation I wish there was more space made for for nuance uh in many different conversations not just not just climate I think we are we've become and I think social media has massively contributed to this you know mm. we are so in our own echo chambers that we've kind of become fearful and ignorant towards other point of views and I think that as we're talking about can have a kind of harmful impact on creating action you know I'm very aware that I I'm kind of stuck in my own climate echo chamber like mm. the people who follow my work or, or Earthrise the platform that I I co-run is like you know those people are already very aware of the issue you know and so we're kind of yeah. preaching to the choir and I I think it's a big issue within the climate space in general of like how do we as, as we've been talking about this whole conversation how do we speak to a different audience mm. you know, to actually to the people who are most affected by this and how do we communicate that this is an important issue uh, and, and make them feel included and part of the conversation inclusion is massive so how do you think we do that like is that doing talks is that i i i think it's about um uh, taking a more intersectional lens on the climate crisis so showing it's a much broader issue than mm. just climate and the environment but i also think we need different representatives people mm -hmm. don't look and sound like me you know because if you can't see yourself in the movement then then you That's don't true. feel like you've got a place in it mm. um and so one of the things i'm most excited about with earthrise and the reason i'm so passionate about it is trying to create a platform for other voices to come through mm. and to like represent you know their own communities and, and and their own perspectives because if we don't have that then we're not going to get you know mm. the masses behind this movement um, and that's starting to happen. This conversation is starting to be massively diversified, not nearly as fast as it should and needs to. Um, but it, there's amazing work happening in, in the, the UK, Europe and, and US, amazing you know, young activists who are coming through and owning this conversation. And I think it's only then that we start to get change in a much broader scale. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring to see how people do things their own way. Mm. And if, if we only have one view, yeah. we only have one lens, you only see one way of you know, doing the thing, yeah. doing the work. There's so many ways yeah. that you can be involved yeah. in creating change. And I think it can be overwhelming. And I think when you care about the future, that can feel overwhelming, but sometimes it just means focusing on one thing at a time yeah. and maybe focusing on something that you're really passionate about or that affects you directly, mm. whether that's air pollution mm. or, you know, I don't know, you're probably better at <laughs> off the things that you... various environmental issues yeah. we're all suffering with Jack go <laughs> uh, yeah but no but that is the issue though isn't it is that in London it's like oh how does this thing relate to you like air pollution is mm. an obvious one but mm. um, 
it's like climate touches everything like the food that we eat mm. coffee is grown in a certain temperature like the the best way to understand climate is like we are we have lived in a very certain uh, geological era where the temperature hasn't varied by more than one degrees and that has allowed us to build this incredible civilization that we all live within this thriving global civilization mm. and if that temperature were to change beyond that all of that begins to collapse like the food systems the transport networks which we're seeing now which we're seeing happen yeah so isn't it like snowing in la right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's snowing it's been here snowing in spain in march and it's snowing here today yeah, and we're in the start of march i mean it's already yeah the, the and that's that's a point to say about climate without being too doomism is like we've already put a lot of change into motion and there's mm. there is no stopping climate change that we're not talking about avoiding climate change and what's happening it's in motion it's about um, uh, mitigating the worst case scenario. So trying to, you know, sort of lessen the damage and also adapting, accepting that the planet is going to change radically in our lifetimes, like mm. beyond any of our imagination. And so how do we adapt the way we live to those new sets of conditions? And I think that conversation isn't had enough because we're 100%. very focused on mitigating, which is natural because it's like, no, we just need to stop this thing first because it feels yeah. like a failure to be like, okay, well, some big yeah. changes are going to happen but but we need to hold both well it feels like what's the point because it's inevitably yeah changing and i think yeah. that's the hard i also think that maybe we don't accept things as a society very quickly or very easily yeah. like i feel like we've been having this conversation for a long time mm. and it's actually been very prevalent in discussions in the news people are aware of it people are aware of like protest i feel like people understand what's happening with the world but it's almost only when they see the real effects, like the fact that it's snowing or that fact that we have 40 degree heat in summer, which we'd never had in the UK. Right, that was when lots of people woke up. Oh, right, oh this really affects yeah. my everyday. Yeah. And I wish it didn't take that. Yeah, well, that's the challenge of communication, right? Is how yeah. can you make it feel more urgent and more personal before it really is and then it's too late, you know, it's happening mm. on our doorstep in the UK. It's when the River Thames is flooding our homes and we're like, oh God, this thing's real. Then it's a little, I mean, We've been talking about floods for like 10 years. I feel like yeah. floods have been happening. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess it's also partly, it, it is those policymakers making it more normalized in our society to think about the environment, making it more accessible and easy for everyday people to engage in, you know, like even like veganism or like if the cost of vegetables right. are really high right. or the cost of fast food is really low, then you are going to engage in a system that is detrimental to the environment because right. that is your current situation. Totally. totally, yeah. It should be easy to do the right thing. And that, that's why it's systemic change. It shouldn't. Mm. And I think it's very, it's, uh, it's, it's in the favor of large corporations and governments to to put the blame back on individuals and say no it's your fault you've mm. got you know, this idea of i don't know if you've heard this before the carbon footprint the mm. personal carbon footprint mm. that was popularized by bp the fossil fuel company they they were like oh we've got a great idea Dickheads. let's make it a personal carbon footprint yeah <laughs> oh and so God. and they created this massive ad campaign to spin it back on the consumer they just gaslight us just like full-on gaslighting <laughs> constantly and, and no pun intended you know like literally gaslighting and um, and so I think that's part of this. And I think lots of people start to point fingers in this conversation at each other. You're a hypocrite and you've mm. done this, which is natural. I understand why. But we need to step back from that and look at the bigger systemic changes that have to happen and mm. the players that are holding those levers of power. And instead of like separating, we need to come together to hold those those players accountable because the change 100%. needs to be systemic. Yeah. 100%. A question that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast is, what is your unique power? Wow. The thing that comes to my mind straight away is communication in some capacity, being able to communicate mm. ideas and, and speak to people. But 
it's taken me a long, long time, a long time to come to that realization and maybe to come into like acceptance of that. Um, Why? Well, I don't know. It's a good question. Like, I started doing this stuff when I was 18. I started a YouTube channel and started talking and making stuff. And, you know, over like four years, that became a full-time thing. And a bunch of people started watching. And then there was a, there was a certain period where I just kind of, I felt a major imposter syndrome. I just didn't understand why what I was doing was successful, why I deserved to have a platform and, and really what my purpose was within all of that. And so I spent, you know, a long time feeling very lost for a while mm. uh, and, and sort of, you know, I suffered depression, anxiety of just kind of like feeling really disconnected with my own sense of purpose. And I think maybe because I sort of felt guilt, I felt it had come to me too easily or something. I hadn't done my due diligence to like mm. earn that position. And, and because it was so natural to me, sometimes it's hard to see your own thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And so it took me a long time to like, I went away from it all to come back around like, okay, maybe that is my skill. And then if that, if that's, if that's my unique superpower, as you put it, that's what I need to use. I need to harness it for good. And that's really where my interest in the climate came, came in. You know, I kind of, this is something I'm really passionate about. So how can I harness the kind of unique skill I have to, to lend it to that movement as we were talking about earlier? And this is exactly why I asked this question, because I feel that some people can go their whole lives with the imposter syndrome of mm. blocking out what their power is or what empowers them mm. because of all of the things that you mentioned we can all feel guilty for feeling empowered or for feeling good about ourselves and we live in a world that is very unkind to us in a lot of ways yeah. and that is intersectional of course yeah. but even hearing about how you got from there to there is so inspiring mm. because everybody has to do that mm. you're you're you literally can't be your best self unless you fight that feeling that I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast hasn't had yeah, yeah, yeah. before. It's interesting, isn't it? But it's being on the other side of it, which allows you to create change, yeah. to help other people, to be the best person in your family life and with your friends. I'm so glad that you said that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I've been reflecting actually. Yesterday, we got the news that um, Earthrise or me and Alice found it made the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which is one of those silly little accolades. But it was, it was making me reflect and just in times I was 29, <laughs> 30 this year, slipping in there. But, but I was thinking about that. It's just a silly accolade, but, it, you know, it's, of course, it's nice for anyone to have recognition of something you've done. And we've been running Earthrise for, for three years now. And it was probably about six years ago that I was in my depth of like depression of like, what, what is my purpose? And, mm. and I was really reflecting on that. And I wrote on the post that I did just saying it's amazing, you know, when you lead with purpose when you pursue something with with your purpose, where it can lead you. And mm. I was just really reflecting on that recognition. You know, that's where this project has come from, just a deep place of purpose and wanting to harness the skills that, that we have or the kind of, yeah, the things that are natural to us, so. And I think it um, is amazing to be acknowledged. Yeah. And, you know, it's, a, it's great yeah. and it's okay to celebrate the wins, even if they come in this form that feels very, I don't know, systematic. Yeah. And you know that you have wins in other places as well, but sometimes things mark moments yeah well and particularly in climate for me like you know mm. and again it's going back to this conversation we had but like something that is very like a, a real institution within the system like Forbes you know it's mm. not something I would normally really align with but them recognizing climate action and climate activists you know they're a list of incredible people doing way more impressive things than than we are like the, the amazing woman who led that piece of the 30 under 30 for social impact is designing devices to take carbon emissions off ships store them into the ships and then you'd be able to discard of them so to, you know massively wow. reduce pollution from ships which is a huge thing and I just mm. I look at that and I'm like ah, yeah okay there's hope you know there are amazing young people designing things like that who are under the age of 30 uh, and for people like Forbes to be recognizing that as something significant 
is big change that just mm. wouldn't have happened 10 years ago so i think it's exactly. important to celebrate those things amazing thank you so much for coming to my podcast oh thanks for having me it's been such a pleasure i feel like we could talk all day i know <laughs> i loved it <laughs> thanks for tuning in to the power in us a podcast based all around the topics of my debut album if you love what you heard please subscribe and tune in wherever you get your podcasts big love with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.